0: Good morning. Please stand for the reading of the word. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. "Come on," they said, "make us some gods who can lead us. Who don't know what happened to the, We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt." So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt." Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt." Then the Lord said, I have seen how stiff necked and stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intent of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger, change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring to his people. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Well, today the show reaches a new low, apparently, <laughs> in the life of Israel. Uh, it's really interesting. I'll just tell you I, this. The message I'm about to give is completely different than what I was expecting to do like a month ago when I kind of pictured what I was going to do and I sat with this and it went in a totally different direction. Um, and what I actually want to do this morning is, is look at Aaron and look at Moses. And I'm going to read a little bit more of the passage later as well, so we'll actually get through the whole chapter. Um, but I want to just look at these two men and their, their responses in this moment. It's been really compelling me. Um, so, but before we do that, let me just let me just kind of big picture. You know, you, you, I think you felt that passage. Great reading, Steph. It's really good, and um, it's hard to appreciate how how devastating this moment is. Okay, especially if you're just walking in Sunday morning, if you haven't been in this series, but um, we've been walking with Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. But it's hard to appreciate just how devastating this is, especially if you remember what happened last week at Mount Sinai. We, we talked about the covenant that God made with Israel. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're my treasured possession. And they entered into this, this commitment, this covenant of intimacy and, and connection and commitment. There was a, co- a covenantal ceremony at the end of it. It was really like a wedding. It was basically this formal wedding ceremony, God and the people coming together um, in this Commitment with one another and what's been happening since then last like six chapters is Moses has been up on the mountain And he and God have been talking about what this covenant is going to mean specifically God's been giving Moses instructions on building a tabernacle like six chapters of instructions on building this tent and But the heart of that is God wanted to actually live right in the midst of his people. So they're going to build a tent so he could live intimately with his people. It's a beautiful picture of God's heart to be with his people. That's what's happening up on the top of the mountain, right? Meanwhile, at the bottom of the mountain, this, this new covenant people of God freaks out and says, make us gods. Who are going to go before us? And Aaron makes this calf, and then they say, These are your gods who brought you out of Egypt, right? I mean, this is, this is they, in, in like 40 quick days, they break the first commandment and the second commandment. No other gods, right? No, no, no idols don't make a god. And they've broken covenant right away. This would be like, essentially, a couple getting married and one of the partners committing adultery on the honeymoon, okay? That's what this is like. I mean, you would, if you were friends seeing that, you'd be like, I, I, don't, I don't think this relationship has what it's going to need. Like, how, how's this going to work, right? I mean, this is, this is not five years down. This is like right from the get-go, there's sort of a, a flaw in the connection and commitment here. So all that to say, this is a really devastating moment. And that, I, want, I want us to see Aaron and Moses in the context of just um, how unfortunate this is. Uh, and the other thing that um, hopefully you felt is not just how devastating, but how, uh, how precarious this moment is for Israel. Like this, this story that's now 32 chapters in, it is in danger, it's in jeopardy of like coming to a screeching halt right here, right? Like the story's about to just stop. And, and you feel that, um, you feel that in, in God's uh, inter, interchange with Moses, right? And God's very much, he's presented here as one of the characters, feeling all his stuff. And, um, man, he makes Moses an interesting offer in verse 10. It's basically the offer of Noah, right? Hey, I'm going to wipe this thing clean. I'm going to start with you, and we'll start a new nation up, right? And, and the story reads as, as like M- Moses is kind of talking God off the ledge, right? Like yeah. this almost, this, the whole thing is about to stop, and Moses intercedes, Uh, But if you go to the end of this thing, go to chapter 33. Okay, a bunch of stuff happens. There's some consequences. But if you look at verse 33, you're going to feel just the precariousness of what's going on. So verse 1, Lord said to Moses, leave this place, uh, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised. Um, Verse 2, I will send an angel before you into the promised land. Then look at verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I myself will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So, so God's solution is, right, in light of who you are, um, I'm going to send an angel, but I am not going. And the people are distraught when they hear this. Uh, and then um, look at verse 5. God then says, um, the end of verse 5, okay, he, he considers, now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. Okay, and that's where the scene ends, and then it cuts to another scene, and you, you have to wait till the second half of the chapter to figure out what's going to happen. So essentially you have God, this is like parents, you know go to your room and we're going to think about what, what we're going to do we're going to decide what we're going to do, and that's how the scene ends and so you very much feel um and I know we're, we're kind of laughing here but there, you know there's nothing funny about this moment right that you, you feel, oh, this is so devastating, and this whole thing is in jeopardy of of ending. At least that's how, how it reads to us. And so that's, that's the context of what I want to say today. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to look at Aaron, and I want to sit with this guy and think about um, what's going on in him and kind of think through how that goes on in our own lives. I want to look at Moses then and see his, what he does in this moment. And I think he's really an inspiring example in this chapter. So we're actually going to kind of do something a little different. We'll, we'll look at Aaron and uh, then I'm going to give us a little bit of space just to consider our own lives. And then Mark's going to come up and, and pray into that, okay? And then we'll look at Moses, and then we'll have a little bit of space, and then Mark's going to pray into that. So I have kind of 2 parts. So there's, there's introduction. I'm going to give you a two-part sermon with a little bit of prayer in between, because I think there's just, there's a lot here to reflect on in terms of our own lives, Okay. Okay, so let's look at Aaron here and just sit with him for a moment. Um, I relate to him way more than I'd like to admit uh, in, this, in this scene. And um, let's just acknowledge he's in a tough spot, okay? Uh, he's never been in charge by himself. He's always had his brother. Aaron's brother's, Aaron is Moses' brother, uh, older brother by three years, okay? So he's the older brother, but Moses is clearly the leader, but Aaron is there with him. But now Moses has gone up to the, uh, you know, he's up in Sinai, or at the top of the mountain, and so Aaron's left alone to lead the people. And 40 days doesn't feel like a lot right here, but I promise you, when when you're in the wilderness and your leader goes away into a dark cloud and doesn't come back for over a month, okay, you'd start to go, I wonder if he's ever coming back. Is he still alive even? You don't know. And so the people um, just gang up on on Aaron, right? Come, make us gods. And they just revert back to what they knew in Egypt. They're used to worshiping other gods. These are not like monotheists yet, clearly. They they grew up in pagan Egyptian culture. They're scared. They're nervous. They go back to what they know. And they demand that, that Aaron help them make these idols, right? He's going to make an idol out of that looks like a calf. It's Egyptian religion back now. And what they ask should be unthinkable in light of what they've observed from God, right? His power, his work in their lives, and his commandments. No other gods, right? Don't make it out. It's not unclear at all. And so Aaron should be saying, guys, this conversation is a, this conversation's a non-starter. <laughs> okay, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to lead you into this. But instead, right, he feels what I imagine was overwhelming pressure from people without the help of his brother, and he gives in to their, to their desires, his wishes. Uh, he exhibits a profound failure of nerve, I would say, failure of courage, and he wants to appease the people. Uh, and so he, um, he gives in. Uh, he gives in to what, what scripture, throughout scripture, will call the fear of man. Okay, Moses gives into the fear, I'm sorry, Aaron gives into the fear of man. So one of you uh, actually recently gave me a book on the fear of man, and the title alone is so good, it's called, When People Are Big and God Is Small. When people are big and God is small. And I think that's exactly what happened for Aaron in this moment, right? Last week, uh, we saw chapter, chapter 19, God was so big. God shows up at Mount Sinai. He's in the fire, the smoke, the trumpet blasts. God is very big. He's he's overwhelming. Now it's been 40 days. God is up there somewhere maybe, but the people are very big. And he's feeling, uh, feeling, they're they're right there. He's feeling the pressure. He's feeling their desires. And he fears uh, the disapproval of them or he fears the consequences of saying no to them. That might be consequences for his own safety. We don't actually know, right? But he gives in to the fear, and uh, he acts to uh, please them, to appease them, to please them, and he says, give me your jewelry, and he makes, right, he, he fashions a golden calf. Um, fascinating dynamic. I don't know if you picked this up when it was being read, but verse four, he fas- fashions a calf, right, makes it a tool, or makes, makes it into a calf, and then the second half of verse, verse four, it says, then they said... Right? The Israelites say, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Okay? This calf represents these gods that brought you out of Egypt. Then, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to Yahweh. Okay? So what's going on there? So he's trying to salvage some kind of Yahweh worship in the midst of this moment, Right, So he all of a sudden realizes, oh, this is really bad, and God's probably not going to be happy about this. So he's like, maybe I can bring God into this, and we'll call this a, um, a festival to the Lord, which it clearly isn't. So he's trying to like hold all of this together. I feel in the people, God's probably not going to be happy about this. So maybe if I kind of bring God into this, um, the Lord's name, then we can make this kind of work. He's just trying to hold all I so relate to stuff like this. Okay. And in so doing, though, he actually ends up breaking the third commandment, which is don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? Don't take the Lord's holy name and bring it into things that are profane, and that's exactly what he does. But he, he, you can feel him trying to kind of make this all work, all right? So they engage in revelry and, and worship and all of this. Then I want you to see, uh, Moses comes down the mountain and he confronts Aaron in verse 21. Take a look at verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? And now you feel Aaron's fear now of his brother Moses, okay? Fear of man playing out again. Don't be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil, okay? Throws the people under the bus, blames them. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That's exactly what happened. Uh, verse 24, so I, I told them, wh- whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the jewelry, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> let me just, let's just confirm. Verse 4, let me see if that's how it went. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool, okay? <laughs> out came this calf. I love that. Um, we've all tried that before. Right, so he he blames the people. He comes up with this ridiculous story, of course. But you feel, you know, even with Moses, rather than just coming clean, right, confessing, he's trying to, he's trying to avoid blame. He's trying to appease his brother. And so I see Aaron. To date, he's been a. We have no reason not to think he's a a good guy, right? I mean, there there hasn't been anything in the narrative that would say he's not a great guy. Um, But here we just see the fear of man overtake him in this moment. And I just think he's he's worth reflecting on uh, because I, I think there's an there's a bit of Aaron inside of every single one of us, right? This this fear of of people. There's there's a, there's a person inside of us that longs to do the right thing, that that longs to be devoted to God, right? But that the the crowd, the the the, the thoughts of what how people are going to perceive me comes in and and constricts that and changes that. And so I want you to be thinking for yourself today, like where do you find yourself, and I'll use a couple words, wanting to please others or appease others? Or if that doesn't connect, how about wanting to impress others or gain the respect of others or be seen as someone significant or substantial in other people's eyes, okay? What I what I want to argue today is that this sort of fear of man uh, takes a lot of different forms. There's kind of the, the classic people-pleasing form for people who are always kind of agreeable and accommodating, won't really speak their mind. They'll talk this way with these people. They'll talk this way with these people. You're not really quite sure because they're always trying to do the Aaron dance around, right? That's, there's a classic people-pleaser. There's a lot of us like that in this room. But I think there's another group of people who don't connect with that at all. They don't mind being in charge. They don't mind speaking to them. They don't mind telling people what to do at to do all. And they're very driven. But if you could get like three levels down behind what is driving your life? What moves you to do the things you do? At root, it would be some desire to impress or to be seen as powerful or as significant or as successful by someone else other than God, <laughs> okay? So fear of man can take a lot of different forms, and, um, but it's a, very, it's a very real thing. And I, uh, you know, I was just thinking about this. Like, there's a lot of people who are afraid of their spouses, um, and, and, right? And I don't just mean, like, physically, which is also true in this world, but there's a lot of husbands who are afraid of their wives uh, in this room, Okay. <laughs> There are wives who are afraid of their husbands, deeply afraid of the disapproval of their spouses. And that plays out in really interesting ways in marriage. Um, there's a lot of parents who are afraid of their children um, in a lot of ways. Um, I'll share it. Yeah, so I won't give the details of this. <laughs> so I was, a, I was at a sporting event of one of my girls the other day. And uh, it was wild. The dynamics at play were so wild. We're walking back to the car, and I whisper to my wife, uh, based on what I said, I said our country's screwed. Like, that's literally what I said. Like, if this, if this is, if this is the future, like, we've got some problems. But what? And I know sport dynamics can be weird on a, on all sorts of fronts. But what I experienced at this particular moment was a bunch of adult people running around and scurrying around to make sure a bunch of little people did not experience any ounce of negative emotion at all. It was wild. And I was like, what is happening right now? It was wild to me. But there's, we're afraid of our children, right? We, we can be afraid of our friends. We, we deeply long to be accepted and to have their approval. Um, right, there's, we, we experience the fear of man. I mean, if, if you don't think you're afraid of, of people, how often are you evangelizing these days, okay? And if not, why not? And that's what was really moving. When you go to Elam, you see these people who just go for it. And they're not afraid of people. And they might actually be in prison. I mean, they have a reason to be afraid. But we all experience this fear. And as I, as I looked at Aaron in this story, I, I, I saw there's, there's two, um, really two core dangers to the fear of man. There's a lot. But the two that really stuck out to me is this. Uh, one is kind of the obvious one is this. Fear of people will crush our spiritual lives. And I really do think Moses, I'm sorry, Aaron, he loved the Lord. I think he was devoted to the Lord. Um, But his fear of the people really constricted his devotion and and compromised his devotion. Um, I was singing this week of the Pharisees. And something that Jesus says about the Pharisees that has always been very convicting to me. uh, And this is the connection between the fear of people and our our spiritual acts. Jesus says this. Uh, to the Pharisees, I don't accept praise from human beings, okay? Jesus did not have the fear of man, turns out. Um, but I know you guys, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. And here's the phrase, how can you believe when you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? And that question has always haunted me. How can you have a rich devotion of faith and, and, and walk with God when you're so committed to figuring out how you guys all measure up against each other, you're so concerned for one another's praise and, and you want each other's admiration. You watch the Pharisees, their whole religion was based off of performance in front of one another. So badly wanting to be seen as spiritual, as, as religious, as significant. And I think that, that Jesus could say that to so many people in the church in America today, right? How are you going to believe when you, when you are striving for the praise of one another? And I see this all the time. I see people who have this, this kernel of spiritual hunger and thirst. But then you just, got caught up, you just get caught up in what everyone around here is doing, okay? And in Orange County, that looks a certain way you just start kind of pursuing the things that everyone is pursuing and buying the things and working the way and living the life. And you go on and you kind of just conform to this thing because you kind of just want to fit in, right? (laughs) No one doesn't want to fit in. And you're left with fitting in, but just this kernel of spiritual devotion and hunger because the fear of man will constrict. It will choke out uh, a, a, a genuine worship of God. So there's that, and then just one other thing I wanna say. Um, The other thing, it might be less obvious that the danger of the fear of man, not only does it kind of constrict or spiritualize, but here's the one that really hit me this week. The fear of people keeps us from loving people. (laughs) And that's kind of a sneaky one. Uh, But you look at Aaron in this story, and I've always thought of Aaron's failure as a failure of courage. but it's also a profound failure of love, right? Like, when Moses confronts him, he says, "Um, why did you lead these people into such great sin? You think, "What, what a thoroughly unloving thing to do. He's actually put them in grave spiritual danger. It is a failure of nerve, but it's also a failure of love. Uh, and I'm still learning this at 46, that, that loving people and pleasing people are two very different things. But it's sneaky because pleasing can feel a lot like loving to everybody involved, right? When someone pleases you, that, that feels loving. And when you please someone, that, it kind of feels like you're being loving. Uh, but I'm learning that they're, they're not the same thing and they can be uh, actually entirely different things. And the motivation is utterly different because pleasing is all about me. How can I get you happy with me? How can I get you unangry with me? How can I get you not disapproving of me? And love is completely others-oriented. So what's what's the biblical solution to the fear of human beings? I heard it right there. The biblical solution is the fear of God. That's, That's the answer, the fear of God... Throughout the Bible, God is saying, Do not fear them. Do not fear what they fear. You fear me. Let me be your fear. And the fear of the Lord is what purifies our lives so that rather than seeking to please people, we can actually begin to love them. That's what Jesus displays utter freedom from human beings' opinions of Him, right? So that He's totally freed to love. Sometimes love looks tough. Sometimes love looks soft. It looks so different in ways. But he's utterly freed to, to, to pursue love exactly as it is. I think Paul was the same way. He had this freedom from people's opinion of him. I want to just give you one passage, and then I want to give you some time to sit with this yourselves. But uh, this is Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians, and I love this passage. Um, his his uh, authority is being questioned by the Corinthians because he doesn't look as impressive as the other Teachers who come through Corinth. He doesn't have, like, he's not really eloquent. And so, so their, their opinion of him is in jeopardy. And so he's kind of defending himself here. But in the midst of that defense, he says this I love this. For me, this is Paul speaking, uh, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Wouldn't that be great to say, you know what? Your opinion of me is, a, I don't really care, right? Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that's not, that doesn't make me innocent. He says, I don't care about your opinion of me. And guess what? I don't even care about my opinion of me. Okay? Those don't matter. It's the Lord who judges me. It's, it's, it's the Lord's thoughts. I mean, those are the only ones that are definitive here. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Right? Imagine that freedom. I care very little <laughs> what people think. I want to live for the Lord. I live so that one day I'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, can you guys clear that one? Because I can't clear it. So I wanna, I wanna give you some time now, just to sit with Aaron, the Aaron inside of you. And um, where do you see the fear of people playing out in your life? Where do you see it keeping you from loving them? Where do you see it keeping you from greater devotion to the Lord? And um, you know, so I asked some of you this week uh, to do a thought experiment, and it was this. like, Imagine um, if God just completely erased all fear of human beings from your heart, like just magical eraser, gone. okay? How would you live differently? What would you stop doing? What would you start doing? And I want you to think about that. And I'm gonna give you some answers that people said right now, okay? Some of these are my own answers as well. But here's what we, here's what we said collectively. Uh, we'd worship the Lord with more abandon. We wouldn't care what the people around us thought. Uh, Probably the the one that came up the most was this, we would speak the loving truth to our friends uh, just more plainly um, without avoiding it because we care about them when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Or this one, Um, we confess our sins to one another more often because all that that fear of exposure would be, gone. who cares? We'd actually start to experience healing from these things that are secret in our lives, Here's one, we'd slow our lives down more um, to spend more time with the Lord because we wouldn't be so caught up in the rat race, the activity of uh, the, the FOMO, and we'd just kind of slow down and be with the Lord more. Uh, here's one, we would go about our work um, with zero need for recognition or someone seeing what we're doing, and we'd just do it for, for, the, for the work itself. Uh, another really common one, I mentioned this earlier, we would share the hope of Jesus with more people without Karen. And then last one, it's related to that. We would just take more kingdom risks without worrying about failing in front of people because it wouldn't really matter. So why don't we just, let's just, um, if you would just close your eyes for a second. We're just going to take a minute and just sit with that. Spend time with the Lord and, and let his spirit, you know, we prayed that, or we sang that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, his spirit is here. His spirit searches hearts and minds and already knows everything within you And so let's just take a moment to sit with the Lord. It might be a moment of confession, or it might just be a moment of awareness of where this plays out in your life. And then Mark will come and just pray for us in the midst of that.
2: Well, Father, as we sit here and think about uh, those occasions in our lives when our concern for what others think of us has more weight than what you think. It all seems uh, so ridiculous, actually, from a distance. What is the opinion and approval of others compared to the judgment of an eternal, sovereign, holy, utterly good God? Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us, Father, for being so nearsighted, for allowing these momentary pressures and impulses to, to cause us to cave, to fear, to compromise, to, to look for the easy way out, those times that we avoid what may be harder, but a far better path those times when man becomes big and you become small in our hearts. Instead, may love be our guide. And may it be our fuel, a love that is grounded in you, a love that is grounded in truth, a love that is strong, and straight and seeks the ultimate good in others. A big God kind of love. A fear of God kind of love that overcomes all all other fears. A love full of courage and of faith. And so Lord, we pray through The power of your spirit, please help us in this way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks.
1: Okay, so we're going to kind of pivot here and look at Moses. We won't spend as much time with Moses as we do with Aaron, but... um, I want you just to experience Moses in this moment as as an inspiration of exactly what you just said, Mark, of a love that is straight and pure and grounded in the fear of the Lord. And I've really, this past, this scene is fascinating, what Moses chooses to do. And what I've come to believe is he does everything right in this scene. And we really see this man developing as a leader uh, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So I want I want you just to I just kind of want to let let us see him in action. I'm not going to make that much commentary on this, but see him in, a, in action, and that he might be an inspiration to us in whatever places of influence and leadership we have in our lives, and we all have them. So um, let's look at this. Three parts. First, Moses up on the mountain with God. Then he comes down the mountain and deals with the people, and then he goes back up the mountain and talks to God. All right. So first, let's look at this. Um, On the Mount with God, Uh, let me uh, just acknowledge there's there's about a a two-year seminary course on these verses and God's interchange with Moses, right? Uh, We're not going to, I'm not going to get into that today, but Moses is very, or God is very much here being presented as a character in the story. He's feeling all the things that people feel. He's, he's responding in real time and how you, how you square all that with you know, a, a God who is sovereign and sees the end from the beginning, which scripture also clearly says is, is worth two years of discussion. Um, but I want us just to watch Moses in, in action here with the Lord. Um, so, you know, verse seven, God says, right, go down. Wow, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, you guys all felt that in the reading, okay? Parents, we know this, right? Your daughter is misbehaving, right? We know how that goes. Already distancing himself um, from, from the people. Verse 10, leave me alone so that my anger can burn and I can write. Moses, let me at him. Don't try to hold me back. This is how God is being presented here, right? And, and Moses intercedes in just a beautiful way. And I want to spend a whole week talking about intercession in a couple weeks. So um, I'm not going to get into the details, but just, just see it. Right? Verse 11, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people, right? Whom you brought out. No, God, you did this, remember? Um, and then he, so he appeals to that. And then he, he appeals to God's great name, to God's reputation in the world, which is great intercession. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, right? Your reputation among the nations is at stake if you wipe your people out right here. And then most importantly, he, he appeals to the covenant. Verse 13, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self that you'd make them descendants, right? Um, and you'd, so he's appealing to God's faithfulness in God's name. That is, those are the right things to appeal to in prayer. And um, he's standing in the gap. For the people he's interceding for them and it says god relents right it's a beautiful picture of standing in the gap for these people in prayer to god okay then he goes down the mountain and it's kind of fascinating what happens here i'll just let you know he does some things that are going to offend our modern sensibilities i'm going to suggest they're all the right moves okay but he's up top he can't see what's happening he's calling god off the ledge he goes down then he actually experiences it himself and he begins to feel all the anger that God was already feeling. So verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. Okay? Uh, verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Okay, he's got the Ten Commandments, breaks them. I'm going to suggest this is not like, oh, and then it's like, oh, no, I didn't mean to do it. It's not like, oh, just an outburst of anger. But I think this is like a prophetic, uh, a, um, a, a symbolic action. He's basically telling Israel, this is what you've just done. You have you've broken the covenant. You shattered the covenant with God, as shattered as these tablets are. That's exactly what you did. Be like a spouse taking off the ring and you know, cutting it in half. This is what you did. You've broken covenant. Okay, it's a symbolic action. So he's, he's, he's acting on behalf of the Lord, I believe, in this. Uh, and then first thing he does is he deals with the calf itself, that idol. Look at verse 20. He took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder. Okay, We're never going to make this thing again. No chance of ever making this thing again. Uh, he scattered it on water and made the Israelites drink it. Wow. Wow okay? He forces them to swallow their sin. He's putting their face in it. I want you to feel this. I want you to experience what you've done. Uh, Verse 21, he deals with Aaron, right? And we already saw how that interchange went. Um, And then in verse uh, 27, he deals with the people. Oh, no, sorry, verse 25. Let me read it. Moses saw that the people were running wild, that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a, lo- a laughingstock to their enemies, right? Their reputation's at stake. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me, okay? They're engaging in revelry and disobedience. This is the gracious offer, okay? Even now, whoever's for the Lord, you can stop, come to me, Okay? And all the Levites rallied to him. So the tribe of Levi, they rally to him. And everyone else just keeps doing their thing. They've been warned. They've been given an opportunity to repent. They don't. So then verse 27, Moses says to the Levites, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Okay? Extreme action. Now you gotta think, there's hundreds of thousands of people. 3,000 is not a lot, um, right, percentage wise. Uh, what he's asking them to do is go throughout the camp, find the ringleaders. Who's, who's starting this? Who's doing this? And I want you to execute them, okay? And that feels really extreme, but you have to feel how, how extreme the, the moment is, how desperate the moment is. And I think this is absolutely the measure that is called for given the circumstance and how, how in jeopardy the people are of, of losing the whole story, okay? So it's this, it's this, um, this tough uh, um, consequence that it absolutely fits what is needed in the moment. Okay, so down the mountain, he, he kind of exercises discipline, judgment. Uh, and then he goes back up the mountain. Look at verse 30, okay? I'm gonna, this is kind of taking the story to the end. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, here's more intercession, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written, Lord. Okay? That is intercession. Lord, please forgive me. And you know what? If you're going to wipe them out, then you wipe me out too. I'm casting my lot with this people. I, I'm, I, I refuse your offer of Noah, essentially. You want to wipe them out? I'm in with them. And you just think, it's pretty remarkable, okay? Remember, this was just a couple months ago. He was at this very mountain at the burning bush saying to God, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. And you see this remarkable transformation in this leader. He is now so committed to these people interceding for them, standing in the gap for them, being willing to literally sacrifice his life. Like, if you aren't going to save them, then don't save me too. Doing the hard thing that's needed, the tough love that's needed in that moment to actually save them. You see a man who is just this loving, courageous, sacrificial, utterly committed to their ultimate good kind of leader. And I just, I'm inspired by it. Like, here's a guy who's, who God has been at work in. And we see him at one of his best moments here with a really tough group of people. And it's, it's an example to us of how we are to be. Let me give you one quote. It's from a commentary. Here is a man whose leadership has nothing to do with personal ambition for his own glory. Uh, Moses probably had the most critical, rebellious, awkward, ungrateful, unreasonable congregation that any leader could ever have. But Moses had been called to serve God by serving these people, he would be the servant of these people no matter what, right? And he's a beautiful, he, he's held up as, as this beautiful example to us. And so that's the other thing we want to do now is just kind of turn and say, um, where, where have I been called into situations where I am leading or just called to love and serve people, Okay? So a lot of us, that will be our families. It could be our spouses, our kids, our, our grandkids. Um, it'll be some of us, be, we'll think of our friends, these people that we're just called to walk alongside and love and serve, and we're supposed to be faithful to them. Um, it could be some of us, a, peop- a group of people that we oversee at work that we've been called to lead in some way. Uh, for some of us, it'll be groups that we lead in this church, a small group that we facilitate or lead, okay? But I want you to be thinking about who are the people that I've been um, put in their lives to to lead or love or serve them, and how might Moses' example inspire me? What would it look like to be totally freed from needing to ever please these people, free to, to love them, to think about what is their good, what's their ultimate good, and how can I sacrifice myself for that good? It might be a sacrifice of prayer, as it was for Moses, or a sacrifice of time or commitment or blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, it might be the sacrifice of, of saying or doing things that would be unpopular, but that would be really for their good. Okay, any number of ways this could play out. But let's just, let's just take a moment now and just to sit with that question. Lord, how have I been called to, to love and serve the people around me in ways that are really focused on your glory and really all about them and what would be good for them. So let's just take a moment to do that. And Mark will close this time in prayer and then we'll respond in worship.